0: Facelifts and Nick Friedle, two things that absolutely relate, because what do you think about when you see ESPN's Nets reporter coming on a podcast? Facelifts. This is Roundball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz and MLS 3112, equal housing lender. I was thinking about... The way teams change in the course of an NBA season. And it was probably because all the billboards that I see. Shout out, Beauty Lab and Laser. Life's too short. But facelifts, alterations, tucks, augmentations, that's the NBA. That's hashtag this league. BBL stands for Bruce Brown Lockdowns. And it all happens quickly think 365 days ago. Julius Randle is the toast of the town in New York. He could go anywhere. He is the king. He gets things free when he goes to the bodega. Now, Knicks fans are click-clacking tweets to find the new bing-bong king. He's a lemon. It shifts that quickly, especially in the type of market that New York is, when the city's heart beats in MSG the Nets a national story they've also changed look at how they opened up the season this year opening night against the Bucks they have James Harden Joe Harris Javon Carter all got PT against the defending champs well now it's pretty different Harden went MIA Kyrie went part-time and KD returned from another injury. I want to steal Nick's spotlight because he's the expert on all things Nets, but they changed over the last month. But the confidence has remained the same. They still believe that they could win a championship. But now they're in the Ben Simmons game. Even later this week, when the Jazz take on the Celtics, that team was unwatchable earlier this year. Truly befuddling how they would play offense, of just trading off buckets with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Defensively, it was a mess. They didn't know how to use Time Lord. Now, move him off the center. He's a helper. He's erasing shots at the rim. And they're vaulting up the Eastern Conference standings. They switch, something that the Jazz will have to deal with in the playoffs. But they do that a lot, and it's yielded awesome results. So how does this relate to the Jazz? How have they changed? What's changed about them? It's not the Stars. Stars are still the same. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. When they're on the floor together, it's a plus 11.5. It's not the starting lineup that's changed. That group of Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan Bogdanovich, Rudy Gobert, it's plus 10.5. Offensive rating, 120.4. Defensive rating, 109.9. That net rating, it's better than Phoenix, it's better than Denver, it's better than Memphis. All their starters. Their starting lineups, less than the Jazz's. And when it comes to the playoffs, you're going to be playing your starters huge minutes. Rudy and Donovan are going to be playing 40 minutes a night. Sometimes it do be like that. But where have the lifts come from? Where have the changes occurred? Well, the obvious one has been Joe Ingles is no longer on this team. If you know anything about Joe Ingles, realize how important he is to the locker room, how much he means to the culture of this team. Talked to Jake Fisher last week on Monday, and Jake, he's referencing how they had opportunities in the offseason, and they decided for continuity because Joe provides that, how much they relied on it. But when he got on the floor, didn't look the same as it did last year. That being said, he still can facilitate can still pass him not shooting a high percentage still provides gravity and spacing for Donovan or other players when you're on the floor he had lost something but he still had that gravity and he's still had the gravitas in a locker room to bring things together the little pieces that have occurred since he went down I think now that's the time that you have to evaluate this team what has happened post-injury because Joe he became a contract he became a piece and they traded him They got players for an expiring contract, so that has to be a boost. And they got younger with Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Juancho Arandon Gomez. So what are the pieces that have changed and have been the lifts since that injury? Well, one, it happened during the COVID stretch in January before he went down. But Danwell House signing with his team on the 10-day was such a find. Such a find. He was a 10-day contract with the Knicks, and what do you know? Knicks, see him walk out the door, the Jazz scoop him up, and he finds and lands in the right place. He's shooting two-thirds of his shots from three at a 38% clip, and he can play defense. He's not the answer when it comes to defensive options for this team. They need a defensive wing. At the deadline, they didn't get it. But House can provide a little bit of that. That's important. But he's been a plus. He's been a step in the right direction for someone who was just a 10-day contract. Now he's in a rotation. Then, the other thing that's happened, Quinn's starting to trust Trent Forrest. Getting him to trust that player, second-year guy of Florida State, who has a phenomenal summer league. I know I joked about it after summer league. He deserves a playoff minute. Well, maybe there's some playoff minutes. Yes, the rotation's going to get shorter, but you need competent players in the playoffs, guys who will play within himself. If anything is shown, Trent Forrest plays within himself. He doesn't take dumb shots, doesn't make dumb decisions. He's been consistent. And since the Joe injury, 18 minutes a night, 5.5 points, 3.5 assists, plus 6.7 on-off. Andy Larson in the Salt Lake Tribune looked at the specialists on this team and what they can provide. It's a nice little cheat sheet for what has happened over the last couple weeks. seemed like last year was just so dogmatic in the way that they had to play. They had to play with Rudy on the floor or Big on the floor. They had no other options. There are little subtle things that they can do beyond that. And they'll still be determined by how they do with a big in the lineup, whether it's Hassan, whether it's Rudy Gobert. Hassan, you have no idea how he's going to react in the playoffs, but there are other options. There are other chances that you could look at to see in the playoffs. And Trent's a part of that. Need creation, need consistency, Trent Forrest. Need a rebounding four? Wancher's shown in the last couple of weeks he hustles. He has a high work rate. Scoring, Eric Paschal. Scoring is a small, big, undersized. He'll still bully. He'll still go and scrap for offensive rebounds. It's on the defensive end where he can get left out to dry. you want a shooting option? Somebody for more spacing? Rudy Gay, functional NBA player. Stretches the floor. Hasn't shot it phenomenally from deep, but also move the ball. He'll pass. He's a vet. He's an option there. I don't see the small ball five featuring heavily, but Rudy Gay as a four has gravity. And his decision-making gives you promise on the floor. And then defensively, there's House as an option on the wing. You want to use the scoring wing? Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He gets hot one night. There you go. So there are little alterations and little fixes, little tips and tricks that the Jazz have had alongside themselves that could potentially impact the way that they play in the playoffs. It is different from the way that they started this season. No playoffs will show if it's a good thing. For authentic Utah Jazz player gear, including jerseys, shorts, warm-ups, and more, visit fanatics.com slash jazzgameused. That's fanatics.com slash jazzgameused. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Nick Fridell, ESPN. NBA Today, ESPN.com, one of my favorites on the NBA beat. Cut up with him to talk brackets, there's a couple of Syracuse guys who don't have the orange in the tournament, also Nets, and last week he was able to see the Mavs, so what is his view on Luka and the team that they've got there? We dive into that, and he's a good overall dude, so please enjoy. Nick Friedle on Roundball Roundup.
1: Kevin Durant's back, and we all understand just how great that dude is. I mean, he is awesome. And I saw him work on a daily basis in my first year covering the Warriors a few years back to see Kevin day-to-day again. For my money, he is just the best player in the league. And he elevates everybody else around him. So that's the first part of this. And that's why the Nets, despite all the up and down nature of their roster, still believe that they can get it together and get rolling. Uh, The second part is they make this move. We haven't seen Simmons. Uh, I don't know. And they don't know when we're going to see Simmons. And I know we'll get into that as well. But the issue for the Nets is, they're just trying to kind of find their way into the playoffs. And the hope still is that Kyrie is able to play in home games and the vaccination mandate gets rolled back here in New York city, but they don't know that either. So there is a lot of different uh, question marks that they have to deal with. And they're trying to figure that out on the fly. But as far as the difference between that game in Utah, a couple months ago, And where they're at now, it starts with KD. He's that good, and they're convinced that he can carry them through at least the first couple rounds, if need be, in the postseason.
0: You have already covered two teams this season, but I even think on this team, you've covered several different versions (laughs) of the Nets this year. What is this latest version compounding with? Ben Simmons did they know that this was going to be an issue with his back when they got him because everybody knew about the mental health stuff that was happening with Philadelphia and that was an issue but this back thing seems to have sprung up on fans around the league
1: fans and I think internally in the organization JP I think they thought Simmons was going to get there they were going to make sure physically he was all right and ramp up his conditioning because they knew he hadn't played in close to nine months, and they wanted to make sure his head was in a good space. And I still remember it was the last week of February, and we were in Milwaukee, and Steve Naz like, yeah, he's just got some back soreness, but that's to uh, be accepted given that he hasn't played and he's just trying to find his way back. And it has gone from back soreness to he's not doing anything. And that's what I—I I don't think people have quite grasped because I think a lot of fans heard Backsword this early on, and went, "I eh, just do not want to play in Philly," and the Nets were hopeful that he would be back. Ben Simmons said, "Hey, I, I hope I'm I'm playing in that game," and it didn't happen. And once that didn't happen, and once there's been this separation of weeks in between, everybody's kind of going, "All right, what is the deal?" And the reality when we're talking to Steve Nash every day is. He doesn't know. He doesn't know when Simmons is going to be able to play. He's not able to do anything. Simmons isn't right now. So it is a gigantic question mark through the rest of the season. And the more the days go by and the more we ask Nass the question of, has he done anything in practice? And he keeps saying, no. you, You have to wonder if he's going to play at all. And given how much hype was around that trade and the fact that there is at least a chance now that he may not play it just seems crazy given how much uh, they thought that Simmons would be able to help but I say all that and I tell you this if Kevin is healthy and Kyrie can play in home games I still think they have enough to get to the east with or without Simmons but the Simmons part of this equation is very very interesting and it's tricky.
0: So then does seeding not matter? Is that the way that they're treating it, it in the fact that they, right now they're still in that playing tournament, but they have those megastars and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but even Irving might not be available if for that first play-in game if it's against Toronto, who's in the seven.
1: They don't care about the seating. It's an interesting point because if Kyrie can't play in Toronto, can they get past the Raptors with just Kevin? I, knowing... And watching Kevin for so many years. Yeah. You <laughs> could still drop 50 and, and carry him through one game, but it is, it's just such a weird year. And this is such a weird team to be around day to day. They don't care though about where they're seated because there is that belief internally that they can beat anybody, but you and I both know if, Kevin doesn't play well for whatever reason in that first game and then they go to a second game, anything can happen. So for as much confidence as there remains and it is legit. People are like, they're really that confident? Yeah, they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie when he's out there, he's shown exactly what he can do time and again. But that when you're trying to when you're trying to frame all this stuff into what can happen over the next couple months of the postseason. Uh, The the Nets have got to be careful because if they lose that first game, uh, things can get off track really, really quickly. But this is a team, despite all the stuff that's going on on the outside, that still believes they can get to the East and they can win a title this year. Now, whether or not you believe that's misguided, that's a different conversation, but that is the belief that is in there right now.
0: How are the players that they actually acquired who are playing on the floor for James Harden, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond, how are they playing for the Nets so far?
1: They've both been very good. They've been very solid. We know Seth can shoot the ball. He has helped stretch out everything offensively. And at times, JP, he was saying, hey, this is great. I'm, I'm the focal point of an offense. When Kevin hadn't gotten back yet. He told me he had been texting with Steph about what it was like playing with KD. So there was a familiarity there. They hadn't shared the floor before, but... They knew each other. I mean, he played with his brother. So uh, Seth has been really good. And I think he's been exactly what the, the Nets were hoping they would get in that deal. Drummond has also been really, really solid. And the numbers have been there all along. But he's just a physical veteran presence down low. He knows what he's doing. He's a really good player. So as far as the deal goes for those two guys, it's worked really well. You wait on Simmons. And then you throw in the fact that they got those two future first rounders that they could deal somewhere else for another asset down the line. And that deal has looked pretty good, but of course Simmons hasn't played. So anybody trying to figure out who won, who lost, it's way too early for all that. And if Simmons doesn't come back, the nets are going to have to answer some pretty big questions because what they would have done at that point is flushed an opportunity to win down the drain and that's not just because of simmons and that whole thing of course Kyrie and his decision is a huge part of this but what a strange and awkward time uh, to to be around this nets group
0: and even so they have kevin durant and kevin durant was able to push the champion last year the bucks all the way without a Kyrie Irving and without uh, James Harden at that point. He had like .5 of those two guys combined. It's amazing what they've been able to do without it. How has Steve Nash managed through this entire run of having players in and out, having an entirely different team and figuring out the Kyrie situation as well?
1: I think anybody who said oh, Nash could be doing more I would always defend him on this point. That lineup has been so in flux for pretty much the whole season. I mean, go back to December. They had the COVID outbreak, and you're losing guys, and you don't know who's in there day to day. Nash, for, for whatever flaws people may think he still has as a coach, and, and he's only been doing a little while, he seems to be very good at managing egos, and we know that that is a huge part of coaching in the NBA. And by all accounts, it seems like Kevin and Kyrie respond uh, to, to what he's saying. And I think there is a respect for the fact that Nash, for the most part, stays very even-keeled. He's not a yeller and a screamer. He's positive. He's trying to build up his team a lot of the time. So uh, it's been a challenge for sure. He's He's been very open about that. But I don't think that Nash deserves an an immense amount of criticism only because this roster is like a shell of what it was supposed to be to begin with. Now, if they get everybody back and they go into the playoffs, well, that's a different story. But as of now, I think he's just trying to ride it out day by day, like the rest of the team and hope that whoever's out there with Kevin can show up and give him some support.
0: How has Kyrie looked in those road games when he's, Robin 60 when he looks like the Kyrie that was on the theoretical best team of all time that Zach Lowe likes to say about it. But he has those moments where it's pretty spellbinding in the way that he can play.
1: He's been awesome. When he has been on the floor, he's been unbelievable to watch, which makes it all the more frustrating, not only for the Nets fan base, but internally because everybody's going – And this guy's unbelievable, but he's only able to be out there in this handful of games. Uh, The one thing that you hear across the league, I was talking to Chauncey Billups about this the other night when the Blazers were in town to keep yourself in that kind of shape and to be able to play a game, sit a week, play another couple of games, sit another four or five days. Not only have we not seen it before, but we know how tough that is. It just doesn't happen. You you don't usually have that kind of rhythm to be placed in and out of the lineup like that. But when you're one of the, uh, the great offensive players of the era, like Kyrie is, he can do whatever the hell he wants. The issue for Kyrie is it's just going to be so strange down the stretch here. If this thing doesn't get rolled back the mandate, because everybody knows how good the nets can be when he's out there. And if he's not out there, there's only so much that they can do. So he's made his decision. Anybody saying, oh, maybe there's still a chance. No, that's not going to happen. He, As he says, he's rooted in his decision. He's made his choice. But when he has been on the floor, he's rem- reminded everybody just how talented he is.
0: Is this how the season should go? I know catching up with Andy Larson after a long road trip, he's saying, Shorten the season to 35. It's a little too much. If Kyrie was like that, maybe he'd be the best player in the league having this this time off.
1: And and you wonder just how many guys, if there were a a shorter number of games, 35, (laughs) that's a little... That was a little
0: extreme. I said, dude... A little
1: extreme. Andy,
0: you're a math guy. You would know that sample size, that might not work.
1: Right. I mean, I see where Andy's head is at. That's for sure. But uh, I, I just... I think the league would be in a better place if they cut some games off, if they went from 82 I, and then people say, well, what's the magic number? 74, 72. I, I don't know. But you and I also both know that it's probably never going to happen because it's the revenue, it's yeah. money, it's the cash flow, and all of this. But there is that, that argument to be made when you're watching Kyrie perform at this level, that if you did cut some games off the schedule and you allowed for more days of rest in between – just how much better are these top tier guys but as we're discussing this jp i'm thinking well what would Tibs say <laughs> like what would that that other era of players and coaches say who say well all the greats played 82 or played close to that and they still played at an unbelievably high level but the game has changed we know about analytics we know what sleep does we we know that back-to-backs are a lot worse than uh, I think a lot of people thought even 10, 15 years ago. So I get all of it, uh, but I would be surprised in the end if, if any of those games got cut back.
0: I'd be surprised as well. And the thing about being married to 82 is the record book, but – even look at the record book, these, the game's completely different. You watch a nineties game and they have defensive rules where you can't help on defense. It's a completely different game from what we're dealing with now. And what you're seeing in 2022, when finally people are even shooting threes, they didn't even use the three point line back then.
1: Think about Steph, think about Harden, think about, uh, the, the numbers that have just exploded. I I I'd say this, anybody who's watched basketball, For years and years, they're always going to be able to put it into better context. Steph is the best shooter that I have ever seen, but does that mean that because he's passed Ray Allen and Reggie Miller that that diminishes somehow just how great they were in that era? Uh, It's all kind of in the eye of the beholder. So if you cut games off the schedule, I think it would be better for the fans and the players, but The league's never going to jump for it because of the money that would be cut off.
0: Now, let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Jazz face an Eastern Conference road swing where they play the Celtics who are clearly improved from where Utah had seen them earlier this year, and then the Hornets, who are in that play-in zone as well, and who the Nets have seen. And then they finish it up in Dallas, another team that the Nets have seen previously. Let me start here before I get to that Dallas game with the Nets. How do you compare the East and the West in terms of strength in the standings? Because by this time on Wednesday when they play Boston, The Jazz will have seen the Nets, they will have seen the Bucks. they will have seen the Bulls in the last two weeks, and they were pretty impressive when they came here to Salt Lake City.
1: The top of the East for the first time in I don't even know how many years feels like it's even more solid than where the West is at. Phoenix has been unbelievable. The Warriors I obviously know very well. They are really good, but they've been just besieged by a variety of different injuries. I know the Jazz have dealt with their own injuries, but JP, when I look at the East, I feel like there are at least four teams, four or five teams that have a legit chance to get through. And when I look at the West, I, I don't feel that. I, I, it's Phoenix's to lose. I think the Warriors, if they get everybody healthy, still have a legit chance. You know how I feel about the Jazz every year, (laughs) thinking that they'll turn it, and it hasn't happened yet. But I don't think that depth as far as who can get all the way to the top is there the same way. So for the first time in a while, I think the top of the East is just flatly better than, than where we've seen it in a long time.
0: Is there a matchup that the Nets would want in that first round that they would prefer over another? Not that they will have as much of a a say in what they do if they fall in that play-in tournament, but is there a matchup that favors them more in that top
1: half? This is a team that is not scared of anybody. So no matter who it was, there is that belief and that feeling of, well, we have Kevin Durant and we have Kyrie Irving. Potentially, we'll see for which games. They feel like their best is just better than everybody else's. Having said that, the team I would think they would want to just completely steer clear of is Miami. Nobody wants to deal with Miami, especially in a first-round series. I mean, Miami just plays tough. They came in here a couple weeks ago in in Kevin's return game, and they weren't playing Jimmy Butler, and and P.J. Tucker was still out, and Lowry wasn't playing, and they still won because they play – with that edge that coaches always talk about and Bam Adebayo was really good and Hero is hitting shots. So as far as some team to avoid, I wouldn't think they want any part of Miami. But they know they can get through Philly. At least they believe that. I think they believe that Milwaukee would be very difficult. But again, the feeling is Kyrie and KD playing at their level as great as Giannis is. They feel like they own one from last year, so we could go in a lot of different directions. There is not one team that they are concerned about, but if they had their choice, I'm sure they would love to to keep Miami as far away as possible until the Eastern Conference Finals.
0: Miami has a lot of bodies that they can put on Kevin Durant, and having Kyle Lowry as a good matchup for Kyrie, mm-hmm. as good of a matchup as you can find this side of drew holiday are they under discussed when it comes to the eastern conference i feel like it's a ho-hum they're number one maybe like phoenix is this year maybe people aren't talking about them as much
1: i think they should be because what wins in the playoffs aside from superstars defense and i've heard the argument well jimmy butler is not a superstar okay but jimmy butler in a big game is somebody that you want on your team and has proven several times through the years that he can hit big shots when you need him to do so. Can it all work with a group that still doesn't have that one guy who can, in theory, take over offensively? We're going to find out. But I think the pieces are in place there. Also, and I think this part is crucial, for Miami, it has always felt like people have never given them the credit for making the bubble run. There's this feeling that, ah oh, well, it was under ideal circumstances for that team. They they didn't have to travel. They had a mentality of we're going to do everything we can to win this thing. And they came up just short and Dragic got hurt at the end and they weren't the same. But I don't think Miami ever got you to do. How do you get your due? You win in a semi-regular setting or as regular as it could be right now. So that part is going to be very intriguing as I watch the postseason because Miami has a chance to silence whatever doubters may still be out there. Uh, But I do not think they're being talked about enough because as you mentioned, JP, you've got all kinds of different bodies. Forget just Kevin and Kyrie in a net series, just in general, you have big physical guys who know how to play. And especially with Lowry, know how to win. I mean, he won a title with the Raptors. So they are a really fascinating team and they were built to win right now. And so I think they have a really strong chance, especially if the Nets can't get through and everything else lines up for them.
0: Either way, it's going to be a fascinating Eastern Conference playoffs because every single matchup will be with a couple teams that are rolled ankle away from making a, a conference finals appearance. That's yep. that's one thing that you hear Jeff Van Gundy say all the time. You're one rolled a- ankle away from making that point to get to the NBA finals. You saw this team last week, Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. Right now, that would be the matchup for the Utah Jazz in the first round of the NBA playoffs. What impressed you about Luka and this, his team, and how do you think that series would go between those two.
1: Luca is a a bad bad dude. <laughs> I mean, he he is not to be messed with. And the respect that he has already gained, I was listening to Draymond and Steph when I was with the Warriors. This is a couple of years ago, talking about how good he already was. Uh, I asked Kevin Durant about it the other night, and he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> he had all that experience." in the Pro League, overseas. He's just coming at this from a different point than we're used to seeing young players do it. He is awesome. And that is just not somebody that you want to face in a playoff series. I would, with a lot of hesitance, probably still lean towards Utah coming through there because I don't like the rest of Dallas's supporting cast. Spencer Dinwiddie hit a huge shot in that Nets game you mentioned the other night, but when you watch him, I just don't know if all their pieces are aligned for any kind of major run this year. I still like Donovan and Gobert, And if Mike Conley is healthy and rolling that core can get you through a couple series, but that'd be really, really difficult because that is the type of player that you just don't want to see because he can carry the entire group. And as great as Donovan has been these last few years, we just have not seen that kind of level game after game after game to think that he can pull the entire group through uh, the entirety of the Western Conference playoffs.
0: That's the thing. I look at that supporting cast that Luka has, and there's not a 40% three-point shooter in that rotation. The biggest one would be Davis Bertons, but then you have the liability that he has on the defensive end. They have a great team with Luca, but they need to find those shooters to put alongside him so that he can maximize what he can bring out of his teammates.
1: Completely. And that, if you're the Mavericks, and it's interesting you mention that because Durant said they were built around Luca. They all know how to play around him. You just need to get more talented players around him and lift him up. And once that happens yikes but as far as this year is concerned if that is the matchup and everybody's healthy i would still lean towards utah getting through into the second round
0: does mcmahon survive that series
1: oh mcmahon (laughs) i think he'll make it he's got enough friends in both places that uh, somebody will always be looking out for him but uh, that is, that is the, that is the McMahon bowl jazz Mavs. I mean, he just, he's just going to be walking into salt lake, just you know, glad riding handing. high and waving yep. at everybody. It'll be a he, party. That's for sure.
0: He'll be glad handing both, uh, both places. That's <laughs> no for places. sure. How's your bracket. Were you able to, pick pretty clear conscience since Syracuse wasn't in there. I know I didn't have that conflict of interest, so I thought I was being smart this year, but I had Kentucky in my national championship game, so I guess I wasn't.
1: Oh, oh, oh. I, my bracket is still hanging on. It is killing me that Syracuse, not only JP wasn't in there, but for the first time in years on, on selection Sunday, on, bubble night i was like what what is this feeling like i just i just didn't care (laughs) and that part was strange because i'm so used to being locked in and and watching that show and waiting for their name to pop up somewhere but that was tough i still i feel about gonzaga the way i feel about the jazz in that every year I, i pick them and i think all right this is the year and every year uh it's just it's not there yet but on my bracket, that was who I had going all the way through. I just think they have too much talent to be denied this time, but I felt that before, so I guess we'll have to wait and see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, mine's great. I had Kentucky in my national championship, and I had
1: Iowa in the Elite Eight. So, oh you know,
0: th- things, are, <laughs> things are riding high for this guy over here.
1: Oh, boy. Yikes. It's been a rough one, and at least out here, in New York, all everybody is talking about St. Peter's coming out of Jersey and getting to the Sweet 16, and it's a reminder. And you and I have watched for years and years. No matter how the bracket looks, I still love the tournament. And I've watched so much, uh, so much of the NBA through the years that it's tougher to watch college games because the level of play is just, ugh, it is, is not close. But I love the pageantry. And I still love hanging on the edge of my seat, watching all this stuff play out.
0: I'm not yet NBA snob who will never watch a college basketball game. Who
1: you'll will get only, there?
0: Who Keep will watching those watch, NBA games? Yeah, you'll who will only there. watch NBA prospects? I'm not there just yet. It's coming. Something about the tournament. You could just sit sit down, have a non productive day. That that thing will provide all the entertainment that you need for the weekend. And this first weekend is the best part. It just is.
1: I only wish that I could get back and forth out to Vegas like the old days with my buddies, but for a variety of different reasons and everybody's life and with the pandemic still hanging on, we haven't gotten back out there, but we will, and that is a good time.
0: He is the man you can catch on ESPN NBA today, read him at espn.com, catch him on Twitter. He is Nick Fordell round ball roundup on utahjazz.com
1: always boy